Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. And there is a moment where he's sitting on the shitter, like talking to uh, people in an adjacent office uh, through the door, which was LBJ's way. Um, I believe he also referred to his penis as jumbo and showed it to people in the White <laughs> oh House. God. These are things that we that we know. The denigration of the presidency in terms of that sort of respectability politics. We've been there before. That thing <laughs> isn't a saying. thing. All of the pretend window dressing, if that disappearing is upsetting you, I'm good. Um, it ought to, it ought to have not been something that kept you feeling warm and fuzzy in yeah. the first place, because because uh, there are plenty of things that are sort of screwed up. Um, Do we uh, have any verification about jumbo? Um, about the size of jumbo? Yeah, I'm just we curious. we have. What from what I understand from my reading on the subject, uh, he was a man of considerable length and girth. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. Uh, This is your generally weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am uh, Camille Foster, do things at a place called Freethink. This is episode 67, recorded on the afternoon of August 2nd, 2017. Afternoon, not evening. Uh, We're not going to do a bunch of heavy drinking tonight. Um, Speak for yourself. (laughs) And by we, I am joined by that voice that you just heard, via Ansible Connection, someplace in Europe, Mr. Matt Welsh, editor at large of Reason Magazine. Um, Mr. Michael Moynihan was supposed to be here. He is not and may arrive at some point, in which case we'll just stop the recording. We'll stop everything and we will direct our attention to him and then get him involved because he is the national correspondent of HBO's Vice News tonight. And joining us this week in the studio here in New York, very delighted to have her, commentator, journalist, fellow New Yorker, uh, our very good friend, Alona Minkowski. Did I pronounce that correctly? You pronounced it correctly. Boom. Boom. Minkowski, no. Hello, hello. I'm I'm a little upset that you invite on the Russian the one time there's no booze involved (laughs) in this recording. Well, you're not going to only get invited once, so we will we will address that and make certain there's alcohol. Keep you to that. Um, And and we ended up moving to the afternoon because of uh, because of Welch's. Welch's status right now being out of the country in Europe, and we wanted to give him some opportunity to not be up at three o'clock in the morning Mm. recording with us. And now Michael's sleeping through the show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, or something. He's texting me every <laughs> once in a while. So at some point, we'll we'll see what's happening with him. We haven't told people I he's a vampire. I think you should do is, <laughs> is just read his texts out loud. I no, wish it, it, I won't. When we get this thing like uh, recorded live on uh, on uh, Facebook Live or yeah, whatever, just stream the, the video of my phone of my. Because display. if people knew how he texted other human <laughs> beings, I think his career would look a lot different. <laughs> Yeah. So, Matt, uh, tell us about your trip. How are you? Are you enjoying yourself? Is everything fine over there? Are are you suffering from any injuries? (laughs) (laughs) Mostly psychic. Uh, No, the biggest injury uh, besides to the uh, fifth column uh, listening planet out there for not having a uh, show last week. A week uh, week when people desperately needed our, our commentary, actually. I mean, here's the lesson is that. You don't um, fucking go on vacation. Sorry, mom. Uh, you don't go on uh, vacation um, uh, at all. Like, so I leave the country on uh, last Tuesday, which I believe is the twenty fifth. Doesn't really matter. Um, 
uh, thinking, okay, that I'm going to have my couple weeks here in Europe, uh, in, uh, in kind of, uh, the Rhineland, uh, Hitlerville here in France, where all the, the, the street signs are in German. Um, and, uh, so what happens the week that I am gone this whole year, I've been writing about a lot, uh, the, kind of the question of which Republican will be the one who finally tells Donald Trump he can't have his cookie mm. in terms of uh, health care reform. And there's a lot of, that goes along with that, covering the House Freedom Caucus, and they're agonizing over various things, um, and uh, kind of wargaming, who's it going to be in the Senate? Uh, so, and, and you might also recall that 10 years ago, I wrote a biography of, of John McCain. So I leave the country on Tuesday. I think- Myth it, of the Maverick, still, still on sale at Amazon. Thank you. Uh, it's still a good book. I went and uh, reread some of it. So it's mm -hmm. not bad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so then Tuesday, uh, McCain wheels back with this dramatic kind of speech where he tells the presidents, you know, that you're we're not your underlings and this kind of thing. And then, of course, on Thursday or whatever it is, he becomes the surprise ish guy who plunges a dagger into the heart of whatever the Obamacare revamp thing was that's been going on for the last six months. So uh, basically, uh, don't ever leave. Don't go on vacation. It's all going to happen. Whatever is on your beat is going to explode in Washington, and uh, we're all doomed. I I'm in, to give you a sense of flavor of things, I am in a dark room with about 60 to 75 uh, dead flies. Ooh. That that um, sounds that's, terrific. <laughs> Very exotic. That's what I'm doing. Did you kill them all? Is that what happened? <laughs> Uh, uh, so my, uh, my, my right shoulder has been rendered meaningless, uh, here, uh, except as a generator of pain. I had a, a freak, um, how would you say this? Not a masturbation accident, but a freak, <laughs> uh, pushing a, a baby stroller up a yeah. steep hill. Accident. Those are not the same thing. Those are not the uh, same thing at all. I will. Um, you know what? Um, you know, time is a flat circle, Camille. <laughs> uh, and That's not I'd what that had means. A, a bum yeah. rotator cuff previously, but anyways, it's, it's dangling by a Jeez. it's hamburger helper there, and not Man. even the tasty kind, the bad kind. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just hopped up on all of the pills uh, here, um, drinking enough wine to kind of uh, keep the, the the night tremors from uh, from getting a hold of me. And uh, one of the the great reminders of being in this part of Europe, and this is I'm near the uh, there's a little kind of corner where Germany, France, and Switzerland all uh, congeal. And uh, that uh, we forget, we think Europe is a fancy place. They, they have things, um, they're sophisticated. We're, we are uh, comparative rubes. Uh, again, I'm in a room with 75 dead flies, about 30 of which probably I killed today with my left hand, uh, which hmm. is not my good hand, um, because it is inconceivable to people to put a fucking screen up on their window here. There are in every single room in this very nice house in a very nice farming village um, uh -huh. in the middle of kind of nowhere. Um, there are uh, three to five fly traps filled with just tons of carcasses and oh, just buzzing inside. I got stung by a bee I mean, this, yesterday. This is we the worst swarmed. trip ever. Are you are you enjoying yourself? Do you want to just come home? Do you, you need me to talk to, to your wife and maybe just end this whole thing for you because this sounds terrible this sounds like a plea for help thing is i i, I totally love it oh my I, god i i needed to get away from new york i feel i feel so good i don't ride any subways i mm. listen to the cows moo it's uh mm. it's all great uh but uh no they don't have uh screens great. in their windows and even fancy hospitals 
in Basel, Switzerland, the place, the international banking center where they figure out the accounting rules for all the rest of us humans in the richest mm -hmm. country in the world. They don't have air conditioning, these people. I went and visited my uh, brother-in-law's wife uh, in the uh, in the uh, the baby ward, and she's fanning herself furiously and sweating like crazy. He's just, God, Europe, get get some screens in your windows, get some AC. <laughs> God damn it. So that's where I am. Jeez. Well, I'm I'm sorry that uh, that that happened, and I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, I'm a little surprised you didn't come up with a better story than freak baby stroller yeah, accident. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I can I can I can. I don't mean to sound too bit. emasculating, but yeah, a no, baby I can relate stroller? a little bit. I was walking my dog, <laughs> and he wasn't even pulling, and I I ended up screwing up my my the tendon in my shoulder. Mm. So I can I can relate. We we're very weak men here at the fifth <laughs> column. Um, Alona, I know you just came back from Russia, and there is actually some. Some stuff in the news today uh, about Russia, but um, what were you doing there? Were you, you just visiting family, which even just visit, visiting family, I know your mom is actually in a governing body in she Russia. She is indeed, so. yeah. Well, I, tr I try to go at least once a year, uh, mm -hmm. although it can be hard because you know, life happens. Uh, but my mom is in the, in the Duma. She mm -hmm. is a deputy in the Duma, which is like the lower house of Congress, like the House of Representatives. And my brother lives in Moscow, as well as my niece, who's turning nine in mm -hmm. just a couple of days. So, of course, I had to pay her a visit. My grandmother is out there. And so every year I go to hang out with the family. I have friends that I want to see. And this time I also was doing some work. So I ended up going to Gorky Park, which is like the equivalent of Central Park, and filming a piece where I was just asking people what they thought of U.S.-Russian relations and of Donald Trump and uh -huh. Vladimir Putin. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're kind of happy when people answer like, of course we want to get along and of course we want world peace. But then when you're the one producing a video piece, you're like, fuck, everyone's saying the same <laughs> thing and everybody just wants world peace, you know? <laughs> although although I don't think you would get that sort of sentiment here in the United States right now, which some, some listeners say, well, yes, because all the state propaganda coming out of Russia. Um, but if the state propaganda is leaving you with uh, a bunch of people who are saying, yeah, I mean, I we want things to be peaceful and nice and be, be nice. Uh, <laughs> I just suppose that they're not inundated with the sort of coverage well, that we are at the moment. I, I just think that they understand that on a human level, yeah. you know, we're all human beings and you want to relate with them and they and Russians want uh, essentially, of course, for the United States and Russia to get along because the primary victim uh, mm -hmm. in the meantime of sanctions or of the Russian government's actions are regular Russian people. Sure, sure. You know, so they want things to improve. And then I also ended up doing interviews with a couple of people who are in the opposition, who are running, uh, there's municipal elections happening in Moscow coming up, which are really kind of like low-level community elections, but they are... Uh, one of the people who I spoke to right now, his headquarters has over 1,200 people that they've signed up mm -hmm. who are all newcomers, who are all fresh faces, who are all part of this independent party. And so to them, that's that's a big deal. You know, that's a big wave of political activism and um, in Moscow that is something that's going against you know, the powers that be in Putin's party. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that uh, in, in some of the preparatory emails that we were shooting back and forth, some of the policy things that are actually animating, I guess, some younger demographics, which I think I think maybe we'll work our way back around to that. Um, we'll we'll see uh, if Moynihan materializes. But might yeah, well, be, he, might he be, loves to talk about Russia. Yeah. One other thing I would say, by oh, the way, please. Moscow is a beautiful place during the summer. Oh. And so, you know, because I've had people, but I was buying a gift for uh -huh. my niece. Uh, and 
she wanted like a minion stuffed animal. And so I went to some toy store in Park Slope and I was buying it. I told the store clerk that I was bringing it to Moscow to my niece. Yeah. And she goes, oh, what is she doing there? And I said, well, she lives there. So does my brother. So do other members of my family. And this woman just wide eyed stared at me and goes, by choice. <laughs> As if it's like North Korea. Or the people are Jesus just Christ, <laughs> this is this is Brooklyn where there's like the Russian is the is the predominant like oh, ethnic minority. Yeah. In, in so I always Brooklyn feel like point. I have to just counter, you know, like tell people like, yeah, I just got back from Moscow and everyone kinda like, ooh, goes, Oh well, you know, as is... if it's a bad thing. It, it's Moscow is so fun. It's so beautiful, especially when the weather is nice. And like, it's an awesome city to just well, that's, go. That's what you would out. say because of the time that you spent working in RT. <laughs> Obviously, course, still on right. Putin's payroll. Propaganda. Well, I mean, people. this is the, I mean, it's people are so um, sort of turned up by all of the, the Russia leaking, hacking, Trump collusion conversation uh, that I do think for a lot of Americans, it is hard to not sort of see this through the lens of our partisan aggressions um, and sentiments. In some cases, you absolutely hate the Russians, and anything that they do is tantamount to treason. Uh, and if you aren't forcefully critical of it, you are similarly treasonous. Um, and in your case, it doesn't even matter if you agree or not. <laughs> you have family that lives there? You just came from there? Yeah. When I came through, the when I the closest I've come to going to a place where the United States has sort of a tense relationship at the moment is traveling to China and apart from having to go get like some additional visa stuff done, like no issues going and coming. I was in Shanghai and Beijing and come home. I can only imagine that that is a little different for you. And I'm, I'm remembering a piece that you wrote um, that I, I read fairly recently uh, about sort of your experience, experience as a person who works in media and talks about ideas and stuff and happens to have sort of these dual allegiances, being an immigrant from uh, Russia who grew up here in the United States and has family in both places. So um, perhaps we'll, we'll talk about some of that as well. But I, I do want to talk about some of the stuff that's in the news cycle because, Matt, we have been away for a little while. Um, and uh, the White House is typically in disarray. This this place seems to be in like perpetual free fall. Um, there is always something insane happening. And, you know, in any other at any other point in time, if you had a week where your son-in-law, your natural born son, uh, a fairly short lived but high ranking official that worked for your campaign are all being called to testify before Senate investigative committee, one of whom ends up getting subpoenaed. Um, in addition to that, you are currently at war with Jeff Sessions. Uh, your health care reform policy, one of the, the crown jewels of your policy agenda, has died, been resurrected, kind of sort of came back zombie-like and just refused to die. Um, and it fails. This is your week. Everyone would say, God, what a shit show. I mean, this is just the worst administration in history. This is the week where he chooses to go get the mooch. And, <laughs> and, he and, and by the end, by the end of this odyssey, um, Priebus fucking fired the mooch. He has a, a wonderful tirade that we'll go into <laughs> and we'll, we'll force Alona to read it because uh, uh, Moynihan isn't here. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's going to be amazing. Um, and uh, after some cocksuckers and a weekend of everyone sort of stewing and journalists saying bleep, bleep, uh, I can't say that. Wow, I can't believe he said that. He gets fired, too. Um, Kelly has moved over from the uh, Homeland Security 
and is now the chief of staff. And perhaps things will work out at this point. Um, one wonders where the hell to start. And most of that shit is like last week, like last seven, eight, nine days. Like, this is crazy. But today's not over yet. So and the day isn't over yet. <laughs> Don't understand. And we haven't even gotten to happen. the stuff that's happened today. <laughs> the, the Trump administration, uh, the president is excited about uh, new legislation, potential legislation that could limit legal immigration, which we talked about in the past. And of course, there are sanctions uh, coming um, that the president has signed into law along with some signing statements. But but let's, let's start with the firings. And Matt, perhaps you can uh, give us your perspective on what the hell is going on here? What you what you make of all of this? And maybe maybe before we get to the mooch, I don't want to direct you too much, but you tell me what where, where do you want to start here? Do we start with Kelly and I what the hell is going on there, or do we start with the mooch? Think about the last uh, ten days. Is that that was the end of season one? <laughs> uh, like a lot of storylines got thrown together. Uh, there's yeah. a big, big twist. It's the red I wedding. Mean, That's you're exactly right. That's good. That that was a really bit good. Red yeah. wedding-y. Um, the uh, the uh, Scaramucci uh, uh, thing is is amazing because he comes in as a rebuke to Sean Spicer, who gets fired but doesn't quite leave. Um, comes in. Bounces out Ryan's Priebus, um, who's now gone, um, and the, all of it's dramatic. But then Scaramucci gets f- fired, and somehow Sean Spicer is still there, <laughs> issuing uh, press releases. Uh, <laughs> an incredible uh, like uh, transfer twists, uh, drama thrown into it. Um, but also the and with the end of the uh, healthcare debate in particular, and with the advent of a lot of uh, chatter and particularly comments from Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, who's got a new book out called Conscious of a Conservative, um, being pretty uh, uh, upfront in a way, direct in a way that we haven't seen from uh, uh, U.S. senators so far, saying, look, you know, the elephant in the room is Trump. He's a problem. We have enabled him. It's our fault. Uh, we're acting bad. We have to be able to, uh, you know, recognize that this is the, the there's something absolutely weird bizarre going on here and uh just sort of pretending like it's going to go away is not going to help anybody all of this coalesces into um that's the end of the first big heave here and we might have seen already the apex of what a small amount of uh trump power is out there and i would uh, as, again as someone who's been covering the the healthcare question which hinged not on the quality of the legislation. It hinged not on uh, much of anything else except for the single weird question of who is going to have the courage to defy him and why Hmm. and under what circumstances. And different people played that role. But when there was enough people to do it at different moments, yes, John McCain was that person then, but Mike Lee had been that, and Mike Lee and John McCain don't agree on much at all. Uh, Rand Paul had been that person before. And again, Rand Paul and John McCain don't agree on anything. And Susan Collins, obviously, and Lisa Murkowski, who are completely different. 
uh, and all this kind of stuff becomes a little bit like the murderer on the Orient Express. Everyone uh, has a hand on the blade that's been thrust into the chest of this quivering presidency. Very, very and poetic there. you realize that's mm -hmm. it. That's uh, He might be done legislatively. Um, it is possible. I mean, there's, the noise now is that there's going to be some kind of tax reform. I don't believe it at all for the same reasons why I never really truly believed that there would be Obamacare reform is that these people haven't been working on it. They haven't been doing the policy of this and the politics about it beyond just saying, oh, we should get the tax code to fit on an index card, <laughs> uh, which is really a cute thing to tweet. And it's not governance at all. You got to do any number of things besides. Um, so that's uh, kind of it. And then it, it, it forces us to grapple with a question, not just about the Russia stuff, which I'll put aside uh, for the moment and the related uh, things, even though that will be the dominant um, kind of uh, uh, storyline of this presidency, probably. Um, but it forces you to reconsider the question, which I think people should have been doing all along and, and, and we've been encouraging people to do, certainly on this podcast. And elsewhere is like, start from the position of what does he actually control and what can he do? Right. And um, is that, will it be good or will it be bad? And how much latitude does he have? Um, and we're going to find that out. Um, you know, he gave, you mentioned a press conference today with Tom Cotton, um, probably the most evil senator um, <laughs> of the hundred assholes who are, who are there now. They're not all assholes, uh -huh. but 98 of them are. Um, uh, you know, he's going to cut the number of legal uh, visas uh, uh, here. This is, he's just sort of piggybacking on a bill that uh, Cotton and uh, Will Perdue had put together, um, or Sonny Perdue, whatever the fuck his name is. Um, uh, that bill has no chance of passing. So that's a nice press conference. You, you, you can't pass legislation. What a president can do is take prerogatives in the enforcement of immigration, the enforcement of law, generally speaking, even though uh, on that even, uh, Jeff Sessions hasn't been able to do all the bad things that he wants to, and certainly in prosecuting the drug war. Um, and then the prosecution of war and foreign policy in general, in which... Uh, um, uh, while I am no fan of his uh, uh, approach, if we can call it that, um, it might serve ultimately as a corrective to the kind of bipartisan, uh, more interventionism that we've seen. But basically what we have left out of, af after all this uh, stuff is all of that. Um, and then this thing that no one really has ta talked about too much the Atlantic had a piece from David Graham, I think, today that pointed out it. I wrote a, a cover piece for a reason, is that in many ways, the most significant things that are happening are happening with the administrative state, the regulatory mm -hmm. state. The FDA is being completely revamped right, right now in front yeah, of our that faces. That is the one place where he, um, he really can sort of get things done in terms of pulling back on the, the regulations uh, from from there and reshuffling these departments. And, and I suppose even the, the quote unquote understaffing um, of the departments is, is part of that as well, in a way. Why do you say quote unquote yeah. understaffing? Well, uh, well, I mean, if, I mean if, this is, if this is the objective, right? If yeah. the objective is to make these, give these agencies uh, a, a narrower scope of things to do, then it's not so much an understaffing. It, it may not be a strategy. This might be just incompetence actually bearing this particular fruit, one, whether one likes it or not. But 
that is sort of the universe that you find yourself in. It's hardly a priority to bother hiring a bunch of people you just don't want to do any damn yeah. thing. So. I, I think that, you know, just to piggyback off of what Matt was saying there, yeah. too, and you mentioned that this press conference that Trump gave with Senator Tom Cotton, mm-hmm. you know, this was a piece of legislation that that senator brought up first. You know, and that's where I feel like there are a lot of Republican members of Congress who are getting to kind of shirk responsibility mm-hmm. for a lot of their own ideas that people don't support, that people may find evil, that people may find stupid or ineffective or damaging to the United States. I mean, that's how I feel about putting quotas, essentially, right, or or cutting down the amount of immigrants that we're allowing into the country. You have to talk about the role that immigrants play and the fact that the history of this country and how essentially we all are immigrants here, uh, you know, at this point. And and so I, I just feel like we always are looking at Trump. Yes, he's embracing these ideas, which does not reflect well on him at all, obviously. It means Mm -hmm. he believes in them, but it's not just Trump, you know? So when you have, like, Senator Jeff Flake, too, talking about—he's the one that wrote that piece, right, about the conscience Mm -hmm. of the— Conscience of a conservative. Conscience of a conservative. Or the title from Barry Goldwater. Right. It's his book. It's his book, and that Mm -hmm. was just, like, the excerpt that we saw right now. But, you know, Jeff Flake has voted along with Trump in, like, 95 percent of the legislation uh, or of any kind of vote that's happened so far since he's become president. So Mm -hmm. it's hilarious to me that suddenly— Jeff Flake decided that he's going to have a conscience. Like, well, it's about fucking time. You know, where have you been? It's, it seems very convenient to me. And so I feel like we we ne- always need to kind of read beyond it, you know, read beyond any kind of headline or the way that things are presented and realize it takes it takes a village. It's not just Trump oh. doing this. It's not uh, just one Republican senator, uh, you know, speaking out against what's happening. It's this is a massive systemic problem. We're all responsible Every single Trump voter is responsible. Every every single voter in the United States, right, or anybody who is a member of this society mm-hmm. in a certain sense is responsible for where we are today as a country. And I think that we haven't quite dealt with that. And instead, we're focusing on all like, sure, it's it's hilarious to watch this train wreck of an administration, you know, with Mooch and all the other players <laughs> in it. But it also, I feel like, serves as a bit of a distraction from what actually brought us to this point. Sure. No, I, th- I think that's actually a, a really good point. And, and, you know, one of the things that um, I know I've been chatting about since I think since we knew that Trump was in within striking distance of the uh, of the nomination, uh, and this is Pat on the back time, uh, George Will had a, a piece this week um, in uh, over at the Washington Post uh, where he writes, uh, and the title of it was uh, Trump is something the nation did not know it needed. Um, and I think it was wonderful and great and masterful and not perfect uh, in every way. Um, But the piece, I think, in large part articulates a perspective that I've had for some time, uh, which is that one potential silver lining of having a president who is this incompetent, uh, who is able to demonstrate on an almost weekly basis in new and very creative and imaginative ways that I don't really know what I'm doing here, and I could screw things up in terrible and awful ways, um, would actually have the consequence of, one, causing Congress to assert itself um, and actually take some positions against the president to try to to take a little bit, claw back a little bit of the power that it has sort of devolved to the president uh, by way of just abdicating its responsibilities with respect to war powers or various other things, um, and two, potentially serve as a bit of an indication to the American people, 
hey, you know that thing you were concerned about when George W. Bush was president, when people seem to care about the concentration of power in the executive branch? Um, when you do that, even when it's under a nice guy like Obama, the next lunatic that gets elected might not be Hillary Clinton. It could be Donald Trump. This is the situation we find ourselves yeah. in. I'm not certain uh, that that lesson is is actually going to be learned, <laughs> and that people say. won't be won't simply be just it's so a relieved afterwards that we learn and, from our mistakes. Yeah, and, and it's only it's only a maybe. Um, George is perhaps a little more uh, a little more strident than me, but you know, if I were to put on my rose colored glasses and I do look at um, you know, a Congress, a Republican um, Congress, both houses of Congress controlled by Republicans, that is effectively at each other's throats, even if only in secret, that were willing to vote for an, a piece of legislation, potentially, only if they could get an assurance that no one would actually turn this thing into law, which is what the senators were insisting upon before potentially voting in favor of the president's reform bill, um, and who have recently passed through both the House and the Senate, and forced the president to sign a sanctions uh, bill that the president himself, that takes power away from the president. This is kind of a big deal. Um, the, the one thing that does make me a lot less uh, optimistic about the lessons that are being learned is rather than being deeply concerned about, say, I don't know, the 16-year-long military campaign that the United States has been prosecuting in Afghanistan – the thing that makes Charles Krauthammer and various other people say, oh, my God, you know, this is a this is the denigration of the presidency is what Krauthammer said uh, in response to the, uh, the the release of the article um, disclosing the, the horrible conversation the Mooch was having. Um, it's foul language that makes people worry about the degradation of the like, presidency. Please. Yeah. And. <laughs> and political outcomes ought to matter. I think those things ought to matter. But it is interesting. I mean, it's all after all of the concern at the beginning of the season, by the end of season one, you find a president who seems to have fairly limited authority to actually get things done I politically. Think, I think very much so. You're kind of a good thing. You're looking at somebody who is used to being the top executive in a mm -hmm. boardroom, right? And so he's not used to having to answer to anyone else. And so very much the failures of the Trump administration so far, I think, are an example of Congress, Washington bureaucracy really asserting itself and showing that the president can't act unilaterally. And as you pointed out, the one area where normally we've come to expect that when it comes to foreign policy uh, now, you know, on sanctions, they're tying his hands. And, mm -hmm. and it's it's really interesting because I feel like during the Obama administration, that type of executive overreach was something that, as a liberal, concerned me so much in terms of the precedent that was going to be being set. That makes, right? that makes you unique We're among liberals. Extrajudicially <laughs> killing people with drones, you know, what happens when it's in the wrong hands. And and not that Donald Trump hasn't done that. He mm -hmm. has. And he he's has. continued it. He stepped it but, up in some cases. Yeah, but it's almost like we've also kind of backtracked, too, to just where you also see that, yes, executive overreach is a problem and one that's been growing for decades, but and I kind of I keep going just back to this issue. It's not just that, you know, mm -hmm. everyone else in Congress has either inhibited it sure. or if they want to can assert their power and try to stop it in a certain way. But one last thing I just want to say is Please. these I feel like all of these like really apocalyptic scenarios or just, you know, just hot takes that you read on the Internet. 
I can't handle them. And I don't think that, that I don't think that that's helping us to realize the error of our ways mm-hmm. or helping Americans realize, OK, like we've hit rock bottom and maybe where else can we go from here? Yeah, because when I turn on TV or when I go on a website and everything is about how this is just as bad as it can possibly get and Trump has destroyed the value of this position and that and that I turn it off, you know, yeah. or like it's. You want something that I feel like is just smarter and more balanced and maybe it's not as attractive and it won't get as many clicks and stuff, but it also feels more believable to me. Yeah. You know, like, sure, we're at a a really low point, but we'll be okay, guys. Yeah. We we can come back from this. It's it's hard to respond to the success of the apocalyptic strain Mm. of American politics, which is what we've seen. And and, it. To be clear, there would have been the success of the apocalyptic strain of a different variety if Bernie Sanders would have mm-hmm. won. He's peddling an ap- apocalyptic vision of an oligarchy <laughs> that's controlling every, everything uh, in American life and these kind of things, too. But so to look in the teeth of that, especially if there's aspects of it that you one uh, generally feels is like, oh, shit, that's different, not just the sucking you know, your own cock thing. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is actually impressive the, if you can get it done. Didn't I remember like a you know, rumor that Marilyn Manson had ribs the, removed? Ribs removed. Yeah. yeah. That, I don't think that's true. I grew up as a kid with that rumor. That's but that would be a lot of dedication. I'm glad that you guys both knew that straight up. <laughs> Did you not hear that rumor? That was a rumor. When, we, when I was in uh, school, uh, I think there was high school. I don't remember. Yeah, so, so we interrupted so your, your very intelligent thoughts yeah. to talk about Marilyn Manson. We should, we should just Stewart only talk about autofillation. <laughs> that is all we should talk about at this point. Um, but no, I mean, in the same Scaramucci thing that uh, the that was arguably, I mean, that was all kind of funny in, in the tri-state douchebag uh, <laughs> uh, type of way that so much about uh, this presidency has been funny. Speaking of which... I know I say this every 13 episodes or so, but I wrote a fucking column uh, for the L.A. Times <laughs> saying that Ted Cruz was right. We don't need New York values. Uh, he was right for the wrong reasons because he was intimating that it had to do with like the gays or something. But like um, it's the douchebags. My God, really. with, I'm so right about that with too much New York <laughs> in American politics. And Scaramucci was a, a wonderful example of that. But the actually offensive thing about what he said was that he got into um, the FBI and the Department of Justice mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, looked into their investigations. He admitted to or, you know, bragged about and maybe he was uh, not being hyperbolic about doing something which, if not a, a crime, and it might be, would certainly be against all kind of ethics you're, policies. You're talking about the, you know, uh, the assertions that he knew that uh, Priebus had been leaking specific material about him? Yeah, right. and, that, and that he had gone, you know, directly. He's like, My fingerprints are right there inside the, uh, the D- Department of Justice. Yeah. Like he's leaning on them to do this investigation. Um, Although that, it's not, uh, it's not you know, clear. So it's it, not clear that, that was actually true. He, he may have been lying, uh, which I don't know that that yeah, 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 no, totally it, it sounds like the lying. thing he was concerned about was like public records that, for the most part, people could have known about, and they didn't actually have to be leaked by Priebus. But in either case, yeah, the thing I was referring to, I think, is, is, is a separate issue. But yeah, anyways, sorry, I'm just there's that just up too as, many issues. Issues. Yeah. <laughs> so many issues. Um, but like in, in thinking of uh, Alona's uh, kind of a sense of, of uh, how do you respond to apocalypticism? It's hard when you see a lot of things that look genuinely, uh, genuinely different uh, in a worrying way. Uh, Trump's uh, approach towards both immigration and trade, which are, of course, very closely related, sure. is just so different than what we've had for 60 years in this country. 
and from my perspective, really in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, to approach the illegal immigration problem from the perspective of what we need is uh, half as much legal immigration is as, it's as insane as you know we the way to solve the drinking problem is to make drinking illegal sure. it just you are you're using it, it it's incredibly bad it, it, it words can't describe so like you do see things that maybe if they're not apocalyptic are very troubling and worrying and you have to kind of calibrate it but i totally agree with lona in that like the the default um uh kind of status among a, a tons of people out there um, are it, to go to this like crazy, it's all on, you know, DEFCON one, yeah. uh, the nukes have, have already been released yeah, yeah. and, uh, it's, it's hard to, uh, to keep your head in yeah. that, in that moment. But I, I, I think that there is, um, that there's value in detaching from the apocalyptic, being able to call things by their proper names. And sometimes those names are going to be awful, but being rational about it. Like as soon as you give in to the irrationality of it and, and assume some incredible, uh, weirdo intelligence, uh, that's knitting everything together, then that's just one step towards madness. And before I, I give up the microphone, I just have to say not only that, uh, Alona deserves at least a five, uh, demerits for saying it takes a village <laughs> on ironic. Um, yeah, I wasn't going to let that go. I knew you, I'm not going to let that go. Um, but, uh, Twenty minutes uh, later, you, you are both right about uh, uh, Jeff Flake not really doing a whole lot up till now, including that he voted for um, the health care bill. I think out of pure terror of facing election um, uh, next year, which he has a very real chance of losing. But also, uh, Flake's been uh, pretty good on a bunch of uh, things going back. There's a a uh, reason interview that we did with him in 2006, uh, where uh, Catherine Mangu Ward asked him. Um, uh, so what reason uh, do libertarians have to vote for uh, GOP this time around, uh, you know, for the, the mm. uh, congressional elections? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I uh, can't really think of that. Uh, really? uh, so like, you know, what what could you tell of, of libertarians that, uh, you know, what, what could the GOP do to excite libertarian voters? And he said, um, Adjournment. Yeah. <laughs> so he's been pretty principled on at least his comments when it comes to conservatives departing from those principles that uh, people uh, like the three of us might uh, otherwise sometimes enjoy, or maybe mm -hmm. two of the three of us might so otherwise enjoy. Uh, but it, we, it it is amazing that we live in this moment where we came this close to passing a health care bill that not a single person on the planet thinks it was a good bill. Um, is uh, it's is a shocking fact I, to me, I, I and think it, it shows that depressing. we've got a long way to go before that insight, that hopeful George Will Camille theorem about us <laughs> suddenly realizing that the executive power is running yeah. up is going to translate into any kind of courage with a Congress that can't pass a fucking budget, yeah. 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 let alone yeah. do anything else. They don't, they don't uh, leave us with a lot of faith. No, that's for and, sure. and I, and again, this is not. This is. I, I am certainly not of the belief that this is definitely going to happen. I don't even know that it is likely to happen. In fact, I suspect it's not likely to happen. I think that we will continue uh, apace. Um, we but have, for, what, is it Kid Rock and The Rock yeah, who are going to be that running run. in the next I, election? I mean, if I have to choose between Kid Rock and The Rock, the choice is obvious. It's it's The Rock. I smell totally. what he's cooking. And, and the people's elbow is a very effective uh, device. I like Dwayne Johnson's um, voice. I wouldn't mind hearing, about having him to hear that on TV every day. Everything about him is yeah. great. Um, Can I add one little last uh, yeah, yeah. just comment there on the apocalypticism that we were uh, discussing? Mm -hmm. 
I'm not trying to downplay any of what is happening. Clearly, meaningful differences yeah, worth real talking people about. are being affected Absolutely. and hurt by uh, by the legislation and by the policies of the Trump administration, or would be if it could actually get passed yes, in most cases. That too. But the immigration stuff, but um, it's, it's like the green telling card people issues earlier, the, were, the were actual wrong. apocalyptic situation that we're facing, you uh-huh. know, in terms of climate change and what's happening to the planet. When you use those warnings, it doesn't work. You know, people yeah. tune out. And I want so, to come back to that. Oh, yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, you know, it's, it, it, that to me, it doesn't make people suddenly wake up and snap out of it and say, you're right, we need yeah. to do something and make it change. Well, no, I mean, it's it's the persistent hysteria, like, just makes everything, if everything is an emergency, like, nothing is. Like, yeah. this is just, we are just at DEFCON 5. We can't go any higher, and, and that is it. Uh, it's just a matter of which specific thing I will panic about at this particular moment. Um, and, and for me, I think if the outrage was proportionate, I would be fine with that. And if the outrage were meaningfully directed at things of substance, I mean, Matt, when you point to the, the immigration legislation that I hope will not pass, um, it would be nice if people were talking about that and that is what they had been obsessing for for a week. But had Scaramucci um, not premature ejected um, himself or been prematurely ejected from the White House. And that's me twice trying to make a reference to premature ejaculation yeah. um, and not quite getting it right. Thank you. For I just wanted out. to be sure that everyone got it. Um, but it, had that not taken place, I mean, it's almost like the self-destruction was in a way like completely unintentional, um, inadvertent brilliance, because for the most part, People are talking about the Scaramucci self-destruction and not talking about all of the massive of failures uh, from the last week or the Russia investigation, which is kind of amazing. It's the one thing that could actually get us to stop talking about it is someone screaming cocksucker. Um, one uh, interesting note, uh, the denigration of the presidency. I, I kept thinking about LBJ for some reason, and perhaps it's because I saw the trailer of um, uh, Woody Harrelson as LBJ. Um, and there is a moment where he's sitting on the shitter, like talking to uh, people in an adjacent office uh, through the door, which was LBJ's way. Um, I believe he also referred to his penis as jumbo and showed it to people in the White <laughs> oh House. God. These are things that we that we know. The denigration of the presidency in terms of that sort of respectability politics. We've been there before. That <laughs> thing <laughs> isn't a saying. thing. All of the pretend window dressing, if that disappearing is upsetting you, I'm um, good. Um, it ought to it ought to have not been something that kept you feeling warm and fuzzy in yeah. the first place because because uh, there are plenty of things that are sort of screwed up. Um, Do we uh, have any verification about jumbo? Um, about the size of jumbo? Yeah, I'm just we have what from what I understand from my reading on the subject, uh, he was a man of considerable length and girth. So wow. there you go. Perhaps good. our most ginormous president. I don't know. I'm only experienced with one. Um, Camille, the the problem the problem with all gonna, that. Are we? You're only allowed to respond gonna, to Jumbo. Are we talking about Lyndon Johnson? Get, I want to talk about Lyndon Johnson's penis. Before you segue. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, allow people to luxuriate, to express their own sense of outrage when. They find behavior outrageous. It doesn't mean they have to agree with every single thing that you found outrageous about Barack Obama. It's okay to say that Obama did a bunch of stuff that was terrible and he acted more or less on an individual human basis except when he was lying his face off and you know being a bad president. But like as, a, as like a human being, he seemed you know, vaguely all right. Um, 
compared to Donald Trump. It's okay to say I prefer an Obama type than a Trump type just as a regular human being, regardless of what policies they're coming up with. You don't have to at every moment um, say, well, you didn't object to Obama doing this thing. So, you know, to hell with you, you know, making uh, being outraged at Scaramucci's language. It's OK to be outraged at Scaramucci's language on its own because that's bad language. I, I don't. That's that's like that's not, but it's, that's but not is how it, we but is want it, people represented by our tax dollars to behave. That is the, the behavior of a vulgar boor, which, of course, is who we elected. And that was one of my objections to him, too. But that's not any way that that people should behave in addition to all the policy ways that people ought not to behave that are important that get ignored by those who are easily wooed by you know the nice swish of a jump shot or you know, <laughs> a, a bad singing of an Al Green song. He was so smooth. Though, I mean, right? but well, I, I feel like you're trying to say that the, the cult of personality also is something that we shouldn't really the, buy the cult into, of the, right? The cult of the presidency, it is, it is the office that I find repugnant. Quite frankly, Matt, and it's the worship and reverence for the office and the the notion that the office has been respectable and the fact that the man who occupies it doesn't use the phrase cocksucker in a context where he doesn't where where he thinks no one's listening um, and doesn't use the phrase grab him by the pussy in a context where he doesn't think anyone is listening if he never says those naughty things, those awful, terrible things that one shouldn't say on camera, but he still is presiding over policies that I find morally reprehensible. Um, we talked about the drone, the, the kill list, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me that those things are more important. And if you aren't sure. really upset about those things, if you're not talking about them forcefully, if those things don't upset you, but you're obsessing over the 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 sort of window dressing, the, the makeup, the, the hem of the garment that's in tatters, like there's something wrong with that. So that, I think that's the point that I'm making. I'm not saying that it's tasteful, yes. that it's yes, appropriate. I don't, I don't necessarily yes, want him to do it. People respond to humans as being humans as uh, uh, much as that. we would like. And, that, and that's true of I, Trump. I that's why it. Trump got elected among other reasons is that people respond to him this way and they responded against Hillary Clinton in that way. And the personal makeup is part of it. Uh, you can't just you can't just pretend it doesn't exist. I, I'm, I'm and, with you. Uh, and for worse and for worse, the vast majority of this country does not yet agree with Camille Foster. About well, this is this is why I keep saying it. This is why I keep saying it. Come to learn the error of their Damn way. Right. At the end of the day, though, too, you have to think that the the president, you know, for better or worse, is a representative. Of the country, and to me, it's, me. it is embarrassing just that <laughs> on you know an international stage. Whenever there is a, a G twenty or whatever, any kind of you know international global meeting that there is, that you have a Donald Trump going there on behalf of the United States of America. You but know, I, th I think that's okay yeah. to be really upset about that and be like, God, like that's the image that we're projecting onto the rest of the world. But I want people to always feel embarrassed about the reprehensible things that the president does. And I want and, and given the volume of reprehensible things that any of the last five or six presidents actually back into uh, the, the whole time, there, there are a lot of reprehensible things that virtually every single one of them have done that every one of them have done unqualified. Um, 
plenty of those things that one can be upset about. And I say those things, and I'm the same guy who, when we talked about uh, what to the slaves is the 4th of July, can also see the remarkable virtue of the United States. The United States can be both remarkable and incredible in terms of specific philosophical values that it embodies and the ideals of forging a more perfect union, however bizarre that phrase, um, and still be just endlessly critical of the fundamental failings uh, from a policy standpoint and but know so that the can, office isn't something that we should be celebrating. Can't a human being be the same way? Can't you celebrate an individual for their, you know, for their achievements, their we intellect, can. for certain things about them, while also criticizing some decisions that we they've can. made? We can. You know, if, I would still celebrate Barack Obama and, and, the, and uh, compared to Donald Trump for sure, you know, and what— I see in him as an individual and as a man and just kind of that, that image that he projects while also still being very critical of a lot of the policies that I, happen I think during that's, his watch. I think that's fair. And I, I, I hold you to a different standard um, because <laughs> because me. I've heard people be critical. Matt, you're, you're holding me to a different standard. You you want me to give all of the, the, the regular journalos, um, the ones who haven't stopped by uh, the, the fifth column to have a conversation with us about – their, their various transgressions um, so that I can I want you them. to admit that you somewhere deep in your mm. heart in a dark mm. corner have a thing that's racist have a, oh that's racist well I don't know if that's uh, racist but are kind of happy that you're bringing an elephant man to the beauty pageant <laughs> as I said <laughs> on our first episode I don't even want to go that's back it. to that analogy like when people we just, re- respond oh in revulsion to this elephant man that we put oh there you're like ah see yeah I'm, I'm not. You thought this was a beauty pageant. I'm, I'm only. Ain't. I'm only pleased because of the opportunity to give people a chance to exchange error for truth. That's all I want. I'm a truth teller. Do you believe we get the president we deserve? Um, I believe that most people get what they deserve in the end. At least I, I wish that were the case. But can I can I mention someone else who we haven't heard from in in a while? Um, president Steve Bannon, um, who has <laughs> been absent. Largely uh, not seen in a long time. Uh, One wonders, I mean, the Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump feud seems to have cooled. Uh, We've gone from uh, last week where um, Huckabee Sanders was asked, uh, does the president have confidence in uh, in Mr. Sessions? And she says, oh, I talked to the president about that. I don't really know. Uh, To this week, uh, president has 100 percent confidence in his cabinet. And um, Sessions himself has now embarked on a crusade to find the leakers and everything seems to be cool. He's no longer, um, I, I forget what the, the, the words, um, were that Donald Trump was using when he was savaging sessions last week. Um, but, but we seems to have gotten past that. But Steve Bannon, on the other hand, still in the white house, seemingly working behind the scenes on these, uh, immigration, uh, these immigration actions. Um, and also, uh, we keep seeing these leaks about, strange things that in most cases no one else is talking about that Steve Bannon seems to support um raising taxes on the wealthy uh that's not necessarily a strange thing but it's weird for republicans um regulating facebook and google as public utilities which again also strange for republicans and i'm not sure anyone uh, apart from uh who was it that that had that piece in the new york times uh last week uh, articulating the, the democratic new democratic positions. Neither of you know, because you weren't here. Yeah. Sorry. Out of the country. (laughs) That's all right. Um, I'll cut it. Um, and, um, 
And in addition to all of that, he he also has been uh, sort of pushing back, I guess, on the United States getting more directly involved in sending more military troops um, to Afghanistan. Although he did suggest uh, reportedly that we should just send mercenaries instead. Um, that, that's that's not better, Steve. It's, it's not better. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering um, what the hell is is going on with Steve Bannon? Does does anyone have any thoughts on on whether or not he is sort of likely to be tossed out on his ear next or perhaps who else uh, might be the next to go? Well, when we say that he hasn't really been around, is that just because we haven't seen haven't him? Haven't seen him. Yeah. I haven't seen him in photos with the president. So maybe perhaps he's, he's like locked there. away somewhere scheming, you know? Yeah. But in the beginning, it was <laughs> President know. Bannon. And, and I had an expectation that we would see uh, yeah. a well, great deal of him. Well, how much did we him. see President Cheney? But yeah, I don't know. But we see Mike Pence. I mean, he's still around. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's me. You know, it's a little bit a little bit of disappointment, perhaps, that there isn't uh, more action there. I, I guess I want the Elephant Man to be um, even stranger uh, and more bizarre looking. Um, oh, I guess I'm not all that surprised. I mean, I don't really have a theory here, but uh-huh. you're just talking about how some of the positions that he supposedly supports don't really seem like you're traditional conservative positions. They're not conventional positions. I suspect he is probably leaking this stuff himself um, for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, if if in order to sort of gain some attention for himself or to distance himself from the president. I would just say that somebody who who has, you know, a very type of nationalistic... worldview in general might just be really into controlling things. You know, we're so surprised he wants to regulate Facebook and uh, and Google, whatever else that you mentioned. You know, these are people who want to control society. And that's how I see someone like Steve Bannon. Well, there's another uh, parallel there to to something we were talking about a little earlier, um, and it's the developments in Russia. The I think I think um, in the conversation we were having earlier, you mentioned that the Putin regime is is um, pursuing a policy of cracking down on VPNs. Um, and interestingly, the same thing is happening in China right now. In fact, that um, is happening and Apple and various other large U.S.-based technology companies generally aligned with ideals of freedom um, are essentially not complicit in that and that they're supporting it, but they are complying. They are taking applications out of the App Store and all of that is happening um, against the backdrop of sort of this push for renewed push to maintain net neutrality here in the United States. And there's a there's sort of an odd contrast, both in terms of the policy priority of having the government regulate the Internet and keep it free and having governments who are exercising control over the Internet and exercising that control in such a way that they are actually restricting access to technology and the exchange of ideas and freedom. So I, I wonder if you could give us some context for what is taking place in, in Russia, how that is playing out there um, amongst the amongst the voters. And then maybe we can have a broader conversation about what the implications might be for U.S. policy. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost ironic, right, that we're so worried about the Russian government and its cyber capabilities. And yet at the same time, I see very much Russia's clampdown on uh, on the Internet as something that is Putin's Achilles heel. You know, and many people have called various different things Putin's Achilles heel, but I really do see uh, these policies backfiring for him. So banning VPNs, that's just the latest move. And this mm-hmm. is banning VPNs so people can't access websites that are already blocked in the country. You know, even when I was there the other week, 
I was annoyed because like my LinkedIn app wasn't working and my Russian friend was like, oh yeah, LinkedIn, you can't, you can't use it here. Like you have to use a VPN. Why can't you use LinkedIn? (laughs) I don't know. Right. But it's, it's, there's thousands of websites that are banned and and little things like that. And some of them I think are, you know, certain apps and companies that themselves chose not to, uh, you know, perhaps comply with things in the, in Russia. There's also legislation where, you know, bloggers have had to register themselves. There have been a number of kind of high-profile cases of people being uh, – there was one guy. He's like a, a popular blogger in Russia. I'm blanking on his name right now. But he caught a Pokemon inside of a church. Mm-hmm. And not only was he prosecuted for it, his name has been added to a list of, of kind of terrorists and extremists. Jeez. And and that is a combination of a whole bunch of different factors happening within uh, Russia right now. Vladimir Putin is also kind of on this quest to bring morality back. And the Russian Orthodox Church has a lot of political power and influence in the country right now. And I think that they are working in tandem with each other. Like the Russian Orthodox Church always brings up all kinds of wacko, bizarre legislation. And but they're but they're working in tandem because, again, it keeps people kind of controlled. And mm-hmm. so the same thing here, I, you know, I was fighting with my mom in Russia <laughs> Kashu about this, this kid who caught the Pokemon, you know, she's uh-huh. like, well, it was a law, you know, and he broke it. I'm like, yeah, but like, who needs a fucking law that tells you that, <laughs> you know, these sacred spaces like churches that you can't catch a Pokemon inside of them, like Russian uh-huh. people don't care about that, and especially young Russian people. They're they're not super religious. This is not like morality is not a way to reach them. And so in that same way, uh, a lot of these type of opposition activists that I spoke to and even people who are not uh, opposition at all kept mentioning examples of clamping down on the Internet as something that they find frustrating as intrusions into their personal and daily lives, right, into your home, on your laptop, into your iPhone that you're holding in your hand. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is politicizing people against uh, the Russian government, you know, whereas maybe otherwise they wouldn't really care. I mean, a lot of the time people seem pretty apathetic until it impacts them directly. But when you take this young Russian population that gets all of their news for the most part online, they already know. Meaningfully disrupt their lives, like making it more difficult for them to, to use their phone to do stuff yeah. that they used to do or, yesterday. Or like you block whatever, like you porn or something like that. You know, <laughs> that's when people learn how to use a Wait, VPN. Are they, are they doing and that? I, yeah, I think that they, they've, they've there's, you know, been some, uh, don't quote me on that because wow. I had a conversation with someone, but I think that there are some porn sites that maybe have they've tried we, to control We can still too. get there. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> just for anyone but, who is concerned. But all the, of the, the sites, Alona, this is important. The sites that show uh, people's dash cams from the terrible Russian uh, driving <laughs> and the accidents, those are all safe, right? I believe so. It's the number, number one yeah. Russian export, by the way. Uh, um, my well, God, no, in, those in my view, just, you know, like the Internet obviously is like anything else. It is a tool that can be used for good and that can be used for bad. And it depends mm-hmm. on whose hands that tool is in. And so right now, I think that in large part, one thing that you can attribute the kind of new political action and protests and, and you know, uh, um, energy that we're seeing in Russia, especially amongst young people, if you look at the big protest in June or the big protest in March, mm-hmm. there's a considerable difference in the people that used to come out to opposition rallies in Moscow and the people that are coming out now. And now they're all young people. And a large part of that is, sure, they're, you know, maybe frustrated with corruption as they see it and, and the economy is going to shit. But also they they see intrusions into their daily personal lives, into their access to information. They can see online what's happening elsewhere. They now can go online to get other forms of, you know, information, news about what's happening. And so 
it's um it's up to them to make that to take that any further yeah uh, you know, to really try to push for any kind of real political reform yeah. in Russia. But it is at the moment a catalyst, these types of Internet clampdowns for young people to come out and protest against the state. And so I just feel like, while yes, it has certainly in one sense a bit of a chilling effect. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it can scare people, but it also can go in the opposite direction. And I think that the Russian government is not, isn't doing themselves any favors there. Yeah. Matt, I mean, you've, hey, you've hey, seen... Alona, uh, can I get I was going to uh, I I ask you a question to, to set you up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you didn't always just... Son of a bitch. Yeah. Go ahead. No, forget it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. New York. Matt. Um, no, I was going to ask you, uh, since I don't know, um, do people know you in Russia? Like, are you because of uh, your RT show, which is great, by the way, which I, Camille, did you ever go? I, on? Had, I was never invited. I, we didn't know each so other then. then. Yeah, yeah. That's... I, I wasn't I wasn't one of the 30 under 30. <laughs> so true. I couldn't yeah, really so for listeners I out there really, who, you know. are, who are thinking of RT as this nefarious propaganda channel, which it might be. I don't know. Um, uh, it's not my job to adjudicate that in the course of this conversation. It, it is, it um, is, but that doesn't mean that everyone who's on it is taking orders from the, uh, from the Russians, uh, yeah, which is, which is, we, a, which we, is an we important can get point into to a make. relativistic argument about the, you know, the voice of America and BBC and a bunch of other things. Al Jazeera. No, no, that's not, that's not the argument I want to, I want to have. I would have the argument about Fox business and Matt and Camille working there and getting, there you go. And I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't have that argument right now, but I want to say that for people who are unfamiliar familiar people who are unfamiliar with the channel Alona's show was great and we would go on and um it was always instructive to be there in the green room uh, before and after <laughs> her show because the shows before and after depending on what year it was and what was going on um had uh, definitely some uh content the likes of which you would not see on Alona's show um, you're not talking about dancing bears was, that is not what you're talking about there's something else uh yeah, just the you know, it, it, uh, I think I, I think RT had an interesting way of approaching uh, getting into America by like uh, picking off uh, some people who were sort of neglected on the margins mm -hmm. of political thought, uh, including libertarians. Ed, Ed Krajewski comes to mind, my my very good friend who was at Reason. Were prominently featured, mm -hmm. but uh, anyways, Alona show was was a uh, was a very good show, and it's also uh, kind of fast pace, and everyone was uh, attractive and interesting, and uh, it had a it had a pulse. It was uh, it was good cable news. But so, um, you know, we would do it uh, there in the DC studio, uh, in part because uh, you know let's just get our media reps in. Uh, here and and uh, and get our practice rounds out, and then also because uh, Lona herself was interesting, the show is interesting. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. Being transparent Shots here, fired. honestly, I've heard that from so many people who you know <laughs> now who back then were like cub reporters, and now I run into them all over the place, and they're like, "Yeah, your show was the best practice for us." So yeah. you know, I'm I'm glad oh, I could provide yeah. a platform. No, for least. some people that was the zenith. <laughs> that is, I, I want you to know I, that too. Please, <laughs> please do not misunderstand, and I think Alona, you don't, but like. Uh, I just want listeners to be clear on that. Um, you know, I was talking with our friend Jimmy Fela, who's been on the podcast uh, before mm -hmm. and, and now works for Kennedy's program. And we were bemoaning the, the loss of Red Eye as a mm -hmm. show. And one of his points about why that makes things hard is that we lost a place where we can get our reps sure. in. Like it's actually really important to have that kind of media 
uh, kind of training and just exercise out there. Um, and also to be put on your toes. It wasn't a, it wasn't a softball situation. Alona always comes up with some weird shit. You don't really know what to do, <laughs> to do with it. And like, it was, it was a good conversation. Anyways, um, uh, RT until it became suddenly huge in America's consciousness starting about 18 to 24 months ago um, was pretty much unknown in the United States except in weird hotel rooms. Um, but I don't have any sense uh, alone, and hence the question of whether anyone knows about it or gives a shit about it in Russia itself. So like when you come home, are you like, oh, my God, that's Alona Minkowski. Um, there she is. Definitely. Home with California. But uh, when you go back to Russia, do people have any idea who you are? And is that a thing? Um, well, so first of all, a, a couple points about RT, because I do get asked about this a lot. And, and I think that you're right, Matt, in that initially they just wanted to provide content that was different, you know, and they wanted to kind of throw shit at the wall and see what stuck. And and so they ended up going for these stories that are these kind of under undercovered stories, some of them completely legitimate. Mm -hmm. And then some of them, you know, it was like 9-11 conspiracy uh, <laughs> theories <laughs> and truthers <laughs> and stuff. So I think that there were some poor choices that were made. And thank you, Matt, for the kind words about your show. You know, I really uh, about your show, not his. Uh, oh, about my show? Yeah, whatever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, you know, it was a show. program that we had a small team and we came in every morning and picked what was going to be on our show. And like, sure, I had a bureau chief who then we would come and, and talk about it with and we would get in debates about angles and things like that, mm -hmm. just like any other newsroom. But there, um, you know, I think that because we worked on the opinion side, probably we had a different experience, too, than those people maybe who work for the for the news department there. But we wanted to, you know, we, we were talking about Occupy Wall Street and all kinds of civil liberties issues and warrantless wiretapping and Guantanamo Bay and immigration and income inequality and Internet freedom and net neutrality, what have you, mm -hmm. you know, for years and years before they kind of entered this like mainstream ether. And so that was ultimately what we tried to provide there on that show. Uh, or yeah, on that show. Um, I can't, I haven't really watched RT since I left in 2012 because people often ask me what I think about the current coverage and I don't know. Do you watch any, do you watch any cable news? I don't have cable. Okay. <laughs> no, me, me either. But, I guess I have Hulu TV now. Yeah. I mean, I have Netflix yeah. and Hulu and stuff like that. And then I, you know, I, sometimes go on cable news and yeah. so I'll watch it in their green room. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is, is a, see, so the answer to that is no. Yeah, that's a that's a and no. If you, if you were wondering, people who do tele cable television never watch the stuff. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but to answer your question directly, Matt, so you know, RT America, the one that I worked for, was in English. And so the audience was not meant to be Russian. Hmm. It was it was right. for people who are English speakers. So no, nobody in Russia really watched it. I mean, I still have a lot of friends who either uh, who worked at RT in uh, in Moscow because there were just a bunch of like cool, smart young people who worked there. And so, you know, I see them. But other otherwise, no. And, you know, it was kind of interesting this time around, too, because when I was going to interview these people who are like opposition figures, I obviously want to be transparent. And I'd say, you know, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I'm mm -hmm. a freelance journalist, worked for the Huffington Post. I also worked at RT. And also, you know, my mother is a member of the, is a deputy in the Duma. You do all that. I do that because yeah. I feel like you have to be transparent with people, right? I don't want anyone to come back and say that they think that I'm like biased in my interview that I did with them because of... I 
I, you know, I, I don't think that whatever my mother does in politics, that doesn't influence my political views or, or my yeah. journalism and my yeah, approach yeah. to my work. And so, uh, but that was an interesting kind of experience where some people would be like, oh, you know, and you kind of, uh-huh. you would, you would, I'd get some, uh, some looks and some, some wide eyes, yeah. that's for sure. But in general, no, I'm just like a, you know, a regular person in, in Moscow. No one knows, knows who I am. The, it's really uh, sad. the, the, the insight, <laughs> like re media decorum, uh, I find interesting. So now I'm going to work backwards, like several things. Um, one I'm biased as hell. Don't mind if you know it. I don't, I'm not out to make you look like an ass. Um, I don't want to set you up. I'd rather have a real exchange with you, but I want you to talk to me. And if by telling you who I am, I'm unlikely to get you to talk to me on camera, I won't give you all the details. So in that way, I am perhaps I see, I a feel obligated. Person. I feel obligated well, to say like, I mean, A, these people could do their research yeah. about me themselves. And they ought which, to. Which they obviously didn't, yeah. you know, every time. Or they pretended like they didn't when I would show up to then do an interview. It was like, yeah. oh, like you didn't even Google me? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you just said yes to doing an interview with someone when they're like, hi, I'm a journalist, yeah. you know, without like thinking twice about it. Or, but or you, just, or you just get on the phone with them and you start having a casual conversation that you think is just between friends and you never say, oh, yeah, this is off the record. <laughs> And, and apparently no one ever says it. And here's the media decorum sort of question. For me, I have had exchanges with people who are talking to me and I have had to ask at some point, is this on the record? Yeah. Can I disclose that you told me this? Because they may not think about it in the moment. I think that's I'm being the friendly. fair thing to do. But that's like with the Scaramucci thing, uh-huh. right? With, yeah. And Ryan Lizza. Yes. He's like, well, he never said it was off the record. And, and he says that explicitly in the article. He never said it was off the record. And I, I read that and I thought to myself, well, motherfucker, did you ask? Because you could find out. But at the same and time, do you if have it was Scaramucci no. calling me, I, know, I wouldn't feel like I'm, I'm obligated to him either. <laughs> I, I would personally, this is Camille Foster on his moral high horse saying, I would have asked. And I'm not saying I'm I'm not pleased that this got reported. I love it. This is great. I love it. Um, but I would have asked. But if you're a government official, I feel like you kind of have to assume that unless, you know, everything it, you say school. is fair totally. game. Yeah. He's, he's a moron. He's a nincompoop. He should have never made the phone call. He demonstrated the, the level of incompetence by making that particular call. After his marathon week, the week before, uh, doing all of the Sunday shows, doing like hour-long interviews effectively, and conducting himself better than almost anyone else who's spoken on Trump's behalf, um, which is not much of a high bar, um, but there's a degree of difficulty there yeah. um, in terms of the, the number of plays you're spinning. But Matt, would you would you ask for permission? Would you would you ask whether or not this is on the record? Uh, 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 <laughs> no. Was that a no? Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. He's the White House. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. In that position, Director. he doesn't he get that benefit. He called the reporter. Yeah. Um, until you, uh, and, and it, it depends on the relationship and they apparently didn't have one. Although, you know, Scaramucci is now saying like, Hey, his dad knows my no, dad. No, I, tr- I trust it. Long Island. It's, this is, this is the, uh, the acknowledgement people. later is, um, the, the mistake, the mistake I made was trusting, was trusting someone. Yeah, 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 I'm trusting. so sorry. It was heartbroken for you. Uh, I, um, uh, sadly in my rapidly advancing age in which I <laughs> don't have use over whole entire limbs, and have to drink them into submission. Um, 
uh, I now know some politicians uh, uh, and sometimes occasionally of those of note and uh, might be in situations with them, might be getting my drink on in Las Vegas, let's say like 10 days ago, (laughs) uh, for example, with them. Um, But if there's any substantive conversation, uh, what they will do, even if all of the signals that I've been sending out is like, bro, I just want to get my margarita on, um, they will uh, hasten to add. And these are people I I, I should add are not the White House communications director. <laughs> what you're telling say, us is like, you're um, part of the establishment, though, right? Hobnobbing <laughs> with uh, with the elite. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, on occasion. Yep. Every, uh, every, once in a, every once in a while. Can you know, I just add one? And now, because we're talking, I've been infiltrated by the Russians, <laughs> so I don't even know where to begin. Finally. No, I just had um, one, one little anecdote that I just remembered for some reason <laughs> since you were asking about RT. You know, and it's always funny to me the way that you see the channel – uh, you know, it's in the intelligence report, you know, about like a Russian election interference and stuff. And I just feel like RT's influence is massively and wildly overplayed. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. and, and <laughs> in a way that's just like embarrassing that the intelligence agencies take it so seriously. But uh, in D.C., uh the only people who would ever recognize me when we were doing the Alona show would always be the taxi drivers. And, you know, I'd sit down and they'd be like, oh, I've seen you on RT. And then I would, you know, like 30 seconds to the conversation, realize that they speak no English. And these people were always like, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> you know, and it's always the most, when you realize that none of your audience actually has any idea what you're saying or what the content of your show means. And yeah. it was like, but, you know, so it's just, I don't know. I yeah. just thought that that was kind of uh, funny. But to talk about how. You know, RT people are not hobnobbing with. Those <laughs> <in power. laughs> well, the, the knock the knock seemed to be that you know, well, they're they're only covering stories that make the United States government look bad, and I and I thought to myself, well, I suppose as opposed to only covering stuff that makes the United States look look good, that's the that's the total that's opposite. The opposite of, that's the, another kind of propaganda. I, if I have to choose between one of those two things existing within the country, I would certainly choose the making folks look bad. I mean, and, and this is the this is the weird dynamic, I suppose, about sort of state run media in general. And we have that in this country, um, certainly not to the extent where there is state orchestrated propaganda, but it is certainly funded and in some cases regulated it, and all, in all cases regulated by the state. Um, and we have these, and you have Sean Hannity. Sure. And, and <laughs> but we also have like the Internet and stuff, which many people are insisting they want greater government control of. And while net, neutra- net neutrality, whatever the opposite of that is. Um, in terms of the the free internet that is somehow being uh, mistreated by the ISPs who are, you know, regulating what kind of content you can access by using their pipes. If that is if that is the bad version of net neutrality, we haven't actually seen that thing materialize in the United States, and not for not as a consequence of there being laws prohibiting Verizon from throttling your bandwidth in various ways. They can and they do do it. In some cases, it's to maximize performance of, say, video or something like that on the platform. But the problem that people are trying to solve when they advocate for net neutrality specifically is not a thing. It doesn't actually exist in the United States. What does actually exist, on the other hand, again, not here in the United States, but in other places, are in fact regimes that have a tremendous amount of power that control the internet, that control television networks, et cetera, 
and do, in fact, use their power for nefarious purposes. And there is something weird about the contrast between people championing, championing that and advocating for it um, here in the United States and seeing not the effects of the exact same thing. That is unfair, um, but at least a manifestation of what sort of state-controlled media looks like. Well, and it, it, at least when Steve Bannon is saying it, I wonder if that makes people who hate him feel any differently about, yeah, no, Steve Bannon should totally be in control of Facebook and Google. That would be a better world. I want to live in that I world. I think that what people are pushing against in either place, anywhere in the world, is an abuse of power, mm-hmm. right? And so you have government abuses of power, uh, like we've been talking about here in Russia, China, or other places where the internet is strongly regulated. Or you also have abuse of power on the part of large companies and large corporations, you know, who who know that ultimately they can do whatever they want because yeah. the because the market is so small, because maybe there are only one or two companies that ultimately control it. And so everyone else is just kind of, you know, left to have to play around, play along and, and pay however much they want you to. And so that is I think that's also a worthy cause, you know, and so then what we get afraid of is pointing to the extremes mm-hmm. of government excess, free market excess, um, because unfortunately someone's always going to screw it up. Well, Matt, I mean, this week we had a sort of Apple and this isn't a story we talked about talking about, but I mean, I'm think as you, as you say, sort of the government excess and, and the corporate excess, I think about Apple's earnings report this week, which they disclosed that they literally made more money than God, which is incredible. <laughs> like they, they have a ton of cash. They certainly have more cash on hand than the United States government does. And they print money, which is kind of incredible. Um, and, and it's certainly true that corporations can abuse their power. We've seen like the Enron scandal and stuff like that happen. This or is the in, uh, health insurance in this country. You know, health part insurance of the industry. problem although, yeah, is although, the insurance industry or big pharma. Sure. Although the issue with health insurance is slightly different because and Enron is different, too, I suppose, because their customers are often like municipalities. But with the healthcare industry heavily regulated by the government and 60 like percent of every dollar spent at this point, I believe, is like directly coming from the government and going to these insurance providers. So it's that is a mess. Well, that's actually, I think, a a really good point of what our real problem is in this country is that is that kind of collusion, you know, if we can use that very popular term these days between government and big industry and those two being too close to each other. I'd say that too closely. I'd say that that is a a uniquely dangerous constellation in in some respects, Um, or at least it has unique characteristics in the way in which it's dangerous. But, you know, I just, I wonder about, it certainly doesn't seem to me that the nature of the fear associated with the corporations, like, and I I wanted to say that in a Bernie Sanders voice, but I couldn't muster the inner strength to do it. Um, But the fear of corporations having too much profits and potentially running amok and doing bad things, generally when that happens and they get found out, like people go to prison, corporations shut down. It's not a panacea. Like they can do bad things, but there are consequences. Um, Mm. When government officials and bureaucrats do... Consequences like slaps on the wrist where they maybe have to pay a few million or something. Sometimes it's just that, right? Sometimes it's just that. I mean, the biggest consequence, uh, you're both right in that 
Uh, Alona is, I think, referring to, you know, the Wall Street financial sure. crisis people. Not not many people went to jail who weren't like, you know, Chinese bankers. Yeah. Um, although you, although you probably a, have to do a crime to go to jail. In, in, in the, Ought to. In, in or, the city. you know, oil um, companies. But that, also... <laughs> big, like, multinational oil companies that do business all over the world that actually physically, you know, it impacts people in a very negative way in these countries where they're being completely abused uh, for their labor, for their resources. And there are no there, there's there's no type of repercussions for these companies. This is at all. In, in some cases or even for sure. like what was it Exxon, right, that just broke the Russian sanctions and they got like a tiny little fine. I mean, I don't want, I have other thoughts on the sure, sanctions sure, in sure. general, but yeah. um, you know, but still I I don't think that we see any type of real accountability when it comes to corporate malfeasance. Well, the, the, but the accountability that you're not accounting for there, Alona, um, mm-hmm. although it never really happens to ExxonMobil, is uh, is bankruptcy. It's liquidation. It's the Enron solution. It's if you actually spend your time fucking over your customers on purpose, uh, eventually when they have a chance to uh, escape, they, they, they will with, and you'll yeah. die. But that's your customers. What that. about just all the other people that are in your path towards, you know, but, world domination and profit making? But I mean, I, no, but, then, <laughs> but you can't do that without customers. Yeah. I think that's the that's the dynamic that's there, the right? Thing. It's you can't it's do it without customers. Yeah, there's there's no there's no panacea. I mean, obviously, concentrations of power are problematic and one ought always scrutinize them, criticize the hell out of them and watch them carefully and closely. Um, but I feel like you have a little too much power in this podcast here. You're really dominating the conversation. Damn. <laughs> he's, he's got he's Damn. the ball handler. I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's true. It's true. I am. Um, and I abuse, You're doing a I abuse, fabulous job. I abuse my authority uh, ruthlessly. No, I'm um, loving the conversation. But it's it's 4.50 um, for us. Um, I'll just say it's late. Uh, we probably need to get out of here pretty soon. Um, I don't know if we had anything else that we needed to, to punch out before we go. Um, I just to, to throw a little button on please. this or actually a, a last minute kind of a curve on it. Um, and partly because Alona had name checked Sean Hannity. Mm. There's so many things in the news that people uh, haven't, I think, probably paid as much attention as they might uh, to a story reported out at NPR by uh, David Fulkenflick, who's a very good reporter. And I don't say that just because he's an Angels fan, but that's kind of <laughs> part of why I say that. Um but uh, that he's reporting on a, a lawsuit uh, by a guy named Rod Wheeler, um, who's essentially who's a Fox uh, contributor, um, who was the main source of the stories on the Seth Rich conspiracy, Seth Rich being uh, yes. the murdered DNC C staffer. Um, and so Rod Wheeler is suing Fox for all of this, um, saying that they fabricated the quotes or invented them or distorted them to some degree to try to pin this story on him and that there was coordination uh, with the White House, actual meeting between a uh, funder who wanted to dig up dirt on these stories and Sean Spicer right. at the White right. House. It's bananas. It's bananas. I mean, if you, it was concoction of fake news through this reporter named uh, Malia Zimmerman, I believe her name is, um, who is not incidental. And this is a, a report on foxnews.com that came out in May that they had to retract. It's baseless. Is kind of uh, the reason uh, for Sean Hannity, who was kind of part of these conversations, um, having these uh, breathless three or four days on the show talking about, oh, I'm going to get you something big really soon, really mm-hmm. big, uh, and then kind of slinking away. Uh, the same uh, character, Malia Zimmerman, you know, d- totally discredited reporter here uh, um, about uh, two months later, three months later, 
had a piece right in the heart of, you know, whatever that week's Russia crap was saying that, oh, well, you know, Hillary uh, Clinton, she backed away from sanctions for like six months because uh, Bill Clinton got paid a half million dollars to give some speech in Moscow, um, which is a totally garbage story that I had meant to bring up earlier on uh, some idiot wrote this uh, segment. Um, it's like clear that there's an operation that's overlapping with the White House and FoxNews.com here um, doing counterpunch uh, reporting and analysis intended it explicitly to like go right at the heart of um, or to kneecap uh, narratives that are being uh, thrown out there. Um, pretty alarming stuff. Go out and read it. it. It seems to be the concoction of state propaganda in real time happening right now. And I'll just underline this all. And I don't mean to sound conspiratorial because I'm not, as we all know. Um, but uh, one of the people being um, brought up uh, as a possible person in the communication shop of the White House, Camille, is you're my former boss, Bill Shine. Uh, yeah, the- <laughs> yeah. That is the, the <laughs> secret boss. meeting that, that was happening at the White House that no one was supposed to know about. And when it went crazy, that's when that's when the mooch got involved. So, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, good old Bill Sean. Well, this is, uh, it's funny, Aliona, especially given the sort of conversation we were having about RT, um, I, the guilt by association that happens when you work for an organization like News Corp and you do a show in the building, all of the assumptions about where your loyalties must lie mm-hmm. and the fact that you are automatically associated with the worst possible elements of the network. Um, and there is the belief that you are being controlled. Everything that you say on air is being controlled. Yeah. Um, certainly colluding with the White House and getting talking points from them is one thing. Having someone give you Info on background is another thing. Squashing stories, on the other hand, um, is another. Uh, and that, I think, is something that's disconcerting. Um, but I, I always, I've always found it uh, frustrating when I'm having an exchange with someone. And once they find out a place that I have actually worked or someone who I have worked with or for, this is no longer a conversation about my ideas or my yeah, values yeah. or the things I've actually done. It is a conversation about the worst elements of these other people. And that is what I have to to try and defend. I have to defend myself from those accusations. I've had, you know, I've actually had prospective employers ask me if I've sworn allegiance to Vladimir Putin. In in a serious, in (laughs) a serious (laughs) way. I read read that piece and and I didn't know if you were joking. I was like, oh no, I was being fully serious. You know, like that's that's the kind of level uh, that it's at, you know, and that's if I could just say Because of course you would just tell them if if you did. (laughs) Just, you know, just tell me. I wouldn't tell I have like a chip implanted somewhere, you know, so he, <laughs> he can see everything I do and I, I get zapped talk. if I, if I uh, get out of line. I'm writing a message <laughs> on this sheet of white paper. Uh, no, but I wanted to make one last point about Russia because, you know, I, I did just come back from there and it's been an interesting time. And, in you're, and you're contractually obliged to defend them. So, please. <laughs> no, but it's been an interesting time where even all my friends in the media are like, oh, you know, the, the Russia is the biggest story. Like, you must be on TV all the time talking about it, which, yeah, I've actually been, you know, invited onto onto news quite a bit lately mm-hmm. to speak about it. But for the most part, you know, Russia is not the actual story. It's it's Russia in relation to Donald Trump. Like right. Americans still don't actually know anything about Russia. <laughs> I don't think they care to know anything about Russia. And I don't necessarily blame people. I think that that, you know, most Rational people are yeah. kind of insular in their communities, in their countries. Americans perhaps even more so because of like the dominant position that you play in the world and you kind of take advantage of it. You don't need to learn about other places, but 
if we're going to make informed decisions about geopolitics, about diplomacy, then it might actually help to know a little bit about the political dynamics and, you know, the historical context of other countries and what's actually going on there. And so, you know, the same way that uh, if you look at the sanctions right now and what's going on, you know, we we feel obviously that some type of punishment needs to be handed down mm -hmm. for interference in the election. And so it's just a political move in that, but you also have to think about what are the intentions here and what's the result that you hope to get out of these types of sanctions. If the if you're trying to punish Vladimir Putin and getting him to or get him to change his ways, that's not going to happen. You know, and the people who are actually impacted by it are just regular Russian people, and they're the ones who feel it in the bank. And, uh, you know, and part of that is because Putin is willing to always kind of shoot himself and his country in his own foot, uh, you know, in order to continue to take on a position and be stubborn and, and take a strong stance against the rest of the world. So he's willing to sacrifice them. But um, but it also serves to kind of foment more nationalism sure. within Russia because then it just looks like they're being attacked by everyone else, you know, fairly or unfairly. But it puts people on the defensive. But I mean, I, I don't know necessarily know where I'm going with this, but I just think that we need to come up with potentially other diplomatic options, uh, you know, other than sanctions. Sanctions mm -hmm. don't work. They do not have a good track record globally, historically in terms of, you know, getting the types of results, uh, which is getting governments to change their positions. And and you can look at Iran, you can look at North Korea. North Korea yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, you know, to see that that holds true. I think and so we've I think, uh, slapped some new sanctions on Venezuela. I'm sure that's going to, yeah. that'll well, be the you, thing. We just need to question, yeah. you know, I think the government actions in that way too, and, and to necessarily not just think that, oh, some type of recourse is necessarily the best recourse. And right. I know that sanctions are I kind of that last-ditch effort of diplomacy before <laughs> we think of, like, military conflict, but there, there can be other things. Which there's, there's <laughs> have, could I be an faith. interesting correlation there. Matt, you were going to say something. I think, I think part, yeah, um, uh, and I was thinking of this earlier today when I was looking at, you know, Lindsey Graham's latest cable news appearance, so I'm sure that was about three seconds ago, <laughs> um, talking about North Korea, like, oh, you know, we have to... He's talked with Trump recently and um, um, that we should do a minimum sanctions and maybe, you know, of some light to first strike nukes. Uh, and it 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 strikes me that we think about this from such an American centric kind of um, it's almost like a, a totem pole or a measuring stick from zero to ten. Um, and that is a punishing stick. Mm. So. Uh, sanctions is the seven or the eight before we actually like drop a bomb or enforce a no fly zone or something like that. But we only think this in, in terms of punishment. Mm -hmm. Like what are we going to do to exact the punishment and, um, and this kind of awful centrist American kind of bipartisan, we must do something in foreign policy. The reason why the Lindsey Graham's of the world and the John McCain's of the world are always treated with more respect than they deserve, I believe, in uh, foreign policy arguments. Because they're always they're willing to say and they're funny and they, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, yeah, I mean, but they're, what they're asking for is to do something. Yeah. And journalists love there to be someone with an answer of what we should mm -hmm. do when there's an, a problem right there. Like, my God, let's grab a hammer and let's hit it. Um, but that is this uh, incredibly kind of uh, linear and uh, at the same time sort of backwards way of thinking. Uh, I, I, I think it's uh, the world doesn't 
exist in a place where everything is measurable on a scale of what kind of punishment America is going to levy out uh, against people's behavior. Well, maybe it should. But that's exactly how we talk maybe about it, it all the time. Not maybe to it mention— It's almost never talked about in any other way. It also does create, you know, a, 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 in terms of Russia, too, there's always this kind of, like— what what about ism right that the people talk about where the russian government always says well the american government does it too mm-hmm. and you know two wrongs don't make a right there you know there's no such thing as as moral equivalence i i kind of disagree with it uh as a whole but you know i could talk to some of the most liberal minded opposition minded democratic people in Russia, and they'll still point to the fact that they think it's kind of, you know, fucked up that, like, the United States has bases all over the world, and they do still feel surrounded as Russia, or they feel like there are double standards to Mm -hmm. the United States breaking all sorts of, uh, you know, international rules, not signing on to all kinds of international conventions, but then telling other countries that they have to do so, Mm -hmm. uh, or that that we're going to punish them for certain actions, even if we may also break the rules at Mm -hmm. some point. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's not like a a justification for any other country doing anything wrong. Yeah. But it's just something that I feel like we don't keep in mind. No, no, the uh, governmental hypocrisy, like, does, in fact, matter. Um, And yes, I I would agree with the the general sensibility of uh, having when we cast our gaze abroad as Americans, um, only seeing things from our vantage point and lacking the ability to, to sort of put ourselves in the, in the position uh, of someone who lives in a country that, say, we've been at war in for 16-odd years. We're, we're ostensibly not fighting the government there anymore. Um, but but we've had folks there for a while. What is what does that look like? What well, is it that, actually what does that puts mean? us at yeah. a disadvantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I I've quite enjoyed this. I think we do have to wrap up though. I wanted to talk about that that goofy um, Justice Department thing with the uh, Justice Department targeting affirmative action programs. We might have to do that. Yeah, another, we'll have to do another time. Well, another it's, just, it's just another example of the Trump administration going after you know the biggest problem in our country <laughs> of the discrimination against white people. Yeah, They're just the, the very high on the priority yeah, list. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know that I think that that is uh, that that is a priority that the Justice Department ought to be working on. Um, I do were I to talk about this at any length the observations <laughs> that I made would probably have something to do with the unusualness of people having to balance the priority of going after ostensibly discrimination versus the priority of creating diversity on college campuses and just acknowledging that we are no longer having one conversation we're actually having the other one and that as a matter of fact, there are going to be qualified students who are the wrong race or ethnicity, and they don't get to go to these schools on the basis of the same criteria. That is, that is a fact that exists. We at least know that much about like medical school um, admissions, as I've talked about in the past on this, on this podcast. And, uh, you know, do I think this is something the Justice Department should be doing? Um, no, um, but I also think that we should probably just get the government out of the business of prioritizing either diversity um, or discrimination as a thing that we go go after. I think justice as a general principle or ideal is something that is always worth going after. I worry about sort of fetishizing the places where we'll pursue justice. 
So I did the thing I said I wouldn't do. I don't know. Do you have, yeah, do you have anything on that uh, before we no, run away? No, to me, just to me, when I saw it, it immediately yeah. made me think of that other office that he set up for the victims of oh my immigration God. Yes, crime victim of, voice. Of the, the criminals, uh, victims of crime it's, performed by like, illegal immigrants. Yeah, yeah. Not They're just immigrants, but illegal immigrants. Essentially non-problems yeah. like voter fraud. Ridiculous. You know, and, and same thing with, sure, uh, affirmative action. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there are some people who will be left out, but I still think that the benefits probably outweigh the, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Well, we can, we can talk about ben- it. Benefits out, out, yeah, I don't, the cost, I guess you but, don't want to call it cost necessarily. And, and uh, maybe. The omelets out, outweigh maybe, the eggs. Maybe. Is, is, I'll leave it at maybe. Um, Matt, you got anything before we run away? Yeah, just a quick, some idiot wrote this, uh, the, I'll lead with the good news. A guy named Rich Higgins has been fired from uh, the National Security Council's uh, Department for uh, Strategic Planning, of which he was the director. Mm. Um, So that's good. Um, He got fired uh, by H.R. McMaster uh, in part because of a memo uh, that he wrote in May. Um, This is a guy who's a total Steve Bannon. Yeah, I was going to say he's a Bannon ally. Yeah. Um, uh, And it was this insane uh, thing talking about the left's Maoist strategies to, uh, <laughs> uh, um, like, uh, uh, being cahoots with Islamic terrorists to undermine the very idea of America. Um, I will just read a paragraph and it's just amazing to reflect on that. This person thankfully was fired, <laughs> but at some point very recently, like until a couple of days ago was the director of strategic planning for the national security council. Because the left is aligned with Islamist organizations at local, national, and international levels, recognition should be given to the fact that they seamlessly interoperate through coordinated, synchronized, interactive narratives. Mm. (laughs) These attack narratives, I want to read that again, (laughs) seamlessly interoperate through coordinated, synchronized, interactive narratives. Ladies and gentlemen, when you (laughs) say those seven words in a row... That's a good time to go to the weird country house in France, lock yourself in that room with 75 dead flies and just drink everything (laughs) until you come out on the other side because you are talking absolute nonsense regardless of what it's about. And what it's about is the following. These attack narratives are pervasive, full spectrum (laughs) and institutionalized at all levels. They operate in social media, television, the 24-hour news cycle, in all media and are entrenched at the upper levels of the bureaucracies and wow. quote um rich higgins we're gonna miss that- you <laughs> you're a fucking idiot and i can't fucking believe you were anywhere near fucking <laughs> government and drawing a fucking paycheck he'll, he'll with my fit right in money. on twitter though <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few too many characters uh palpable stupidity there thank you for that matt although Sure. Although you doing that makes me want to share the best sentence that I, I read all week, <laughs> which was, fortunately, today's president is so innocent of information that Congress cannot continue deferring to executive policymaking. That is uh, one George Will from the piece I mentioned innocent earlier. And I, I love that phrase. So innocent of information. Um, rich condemnation wrapped in a, a, a flower, flowery powder puff. Mm-hmm. It hits you and it like explodes and there are little, little white things that come off. And go, oh. But no, 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 you're a moron. It's beautiful. Um, Alina, do you have any parting thoughts before we get the hell out of here 
Um, and could you also tell folks where they can find you online and where they can find the things that you are working on these days, the video that you were just working on? What, what, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm kind of freelancing, so you can find my stuff all over the place, but yes. you can find everything at www.alonaminkowski.com. So that might help. Uh, I'm at Alona Mink on Twitter. And otherwise, this video is going to be a piece for Mike. I'm um, doing the profiles of the opposition um, figures for the nation. And I also write um, commentary at the Daily Banter pretty frequently. That piece you mentioned earlier about Russian-American immigrants and how they feel in the current political dynamic, that was at Fusion, now Splinter. Uh, so, yeah, so probably just follow my, my Twitter feed or my Facebook page mm -hmm. or just go to my website for the most up-to-date kind of information. But ultimately, I mean, thank you so much for having me today. It's thank been, you for coming. It's been a pleasure. I, it's been fun. Nice it. to have, you know, some room to breathe in a conversation. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry for, uh, next for time getting I expect all boots. Maduro um, on, the, uh, on the conversation. And I say that, <laughs> I say that because we were going to talk about Venezuela. We were sort of saving it for one uh, Michael Moynihan hand um but but he had a he had a, an emergency apparently an, a legit emergency we are sending hopes and prayers to him um and also silently condemning him for uh not giving us earlier notice that he wouldn't be here but we had a great time thank you so much for coming aliona alona alona i keep doing that don't i how many times it, have well, i done it's that it's because it's spelled it's beca a l y o n a because yes. in russian it's alona but non-Russians can't really say that. Just say that one more time. Well, my full name in Russian is Yelena Leonidovna Minkovskaya. Wow. And then Alona is a nickname for Yelena. I'm calling Jeff Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, I'm looking at you talking, and it's almost like you're not saying, saying words anymore. That, that is, I feel, I feel my, my speech feels stupid. I can't make my mouth make those noises. It's, That's just, good. Yeah, it is yeah. what it is. My father named me apparently without asking my mom. That's what she told me. Because in Russian, your middle name is your, your father's name with like a masculine or feminine suffix to yeah. it. So my father is Leonid, and so I'm Leonidovna. And so I guess he thought that Yelena Leonidovna sounded really pretty together. It this does. Is, this is the story my mom tells no, me, when right? You, <laughs> when you say it, it sounds great. I, what I'm going to do is just take the audio of you saying your name, and every time I say it, just drop it in, and that will be that will enrich everyone's life. Uh, and we'll get a lot to, more downloads. I had to, you know, for to Americanize it, simplify it, and just make it Alona. Yeah. Well... well I'm sorry that that you've had to downgrade yourself for our benefit, <laughs> uh, but I'm pleased that you joined us. Uh, Matt, anything before we go? Do you have anything to say? No, uh, just the next week I'll be talking to you from the Black Forest. I'm going even deeper undercover. Dear God, in is this like four weeks in a row? Matt, I'm not going to see you for like two months. That's uh, this is the price of uh, doing business with uh, a jet setter. Well, at least post yeah. pictures of the dead animals and flies and whatever else you're yeah, collecting. Yeah, and your busted shoulder. The, Good the trail of wreckage you're leaving All behind. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we're getting the hell out of here. Uh, thanks, folks. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. I was mispronouncing your name. I caught myself doing it just a moment ago because I'm. Are you, sometimes at my you notes. were saying it fine, and sometimes I wasn't getting.